Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We have a lot to talk about today. A new number one at the domestic box office, plus a new ticket-selling plan from the nation's largest theater chain that I have a lot of thoughts about. We'll get to all of that and more in just a moment, but first, I want to thank my partner here on Charts with Dan, as always, Carbon Health. You can download the Carbon Health app right now today to see if there's a Carbon Health location near you. And if you make an appointment with Carbon Health, you can get things like updated immunizations and flu shots or general wellness. They keep appointments open every day for walk-ins because they know that you can't always schedule your health care. And even if there isn't, a Carbon Health location near you. You can also use Carbon Health for telehealth and virtual care. If you live in California or Massachusetts, you can also make Carbon Health your primary care provider. I love being partners with Carbon Health because I believe in what they do, which is to try to provide health care to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. So thank you as always to Carbon Health for being my partner here on the show. And let's look at the box office top 10 for this past weekend. As I alluded to earlier, and as Professor Dumbledore might say, I believe a change of decoration is in order because Knock at the Cabin has dethroned Avatar The Way of Water. That movie spent seven weeks at the top of the charts, the same as the previous film, Avatar, back in 2009. But Knock at the Cabin is the new number one movie of the weekend with $14.1 million in its debut weekend. Now, this is M. Night Shyamalan's lowest ever wide opening as a director, surpassing Old, which held the mark previously back in summer of 2021. But Knock at the Cabin was also produced at a reported budget of around $20 million. So this isn't a case where you have a $100 million film that opens to $14 million domestically. It's actually in pretty good shape as far as return on budget, even though it is, as I mentioned, the lowest wide opening for M. Night Shyamalan yet. And it seems as if right now he is working to the scale at which people are interested in his films, which is a pretty good thing for a director. Would you want a bigger opening? Well, of course. I think any director would probably want a bigger opening. But the thing that's keeping this from being a financial disappointment at least right now, is the fact that it was a very modestly budgeted film. At number two is the film 80 for Brady with $12.7 million. And this is a very rare thing because apparently 80 for Brady had more admissions over the past weekend then Knock at the Cabin. But the reason that 80 for Brady is at number two and Knock at the Cabin is at number one is that 80 for Brady offered its target audience, which is older moviegoers, the thing that no older audience can refuse, which is a coupon, or more succinctly, a discount. All tickets for 80 for Brady reportedly were charged at matinee prices, and all tickets going forward will be charged at matinee prices. So because the ticket prices were lower, more people actually went to see 80 for Brady, but it's at number two on this chart. That's a rarity, but it also seems to be a pretty smart marketing strategy for this film. It's getting people out there in theaters to see the movie. At number three is Avatar The Way of Water in its eighth week of release, a 29% drop from last week and an $11.3 million total. More on that later. At number four is Puss in Boots The Last Wish with a 25% drop and a total at $7.8 million. Puss in Boots The Last Wish has now passed the domestic gross of the first film. It will soon pass the domestic gross of other DreamWorks films like Trolls Over the Hedge and How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World. And worldwide, Puss in Boots The Last Wish is approaching the gross of Shark Tale and Monsters vs. Aliens off of a reported budget of $90 million, which when it comes to animated films, isn't too shabby. At number five is BTS, Yet to Come in Cinemas, which, again, just a horrifically titled or at least punctuated title there. There's a little bit of a disagreement about what that total actually was between a couple of different sources that I use. So I've got it here at $6,280,000. It may be a little higher. It may be a little bit lower. In the end, these things 
usually tend to settle out, but this is kind of a rare thing where I don't have a solid number for what exactly that number five gross was. I just went with the higher number. Regardless, BTS Yet to Come in Cinemas is the number five movie for the weekend. Another hit for a band that just went on hiatus for a few years. At number six is A Man Called Auto in its sixth week with a 36.1% drop and a total right around $4.2 million. Megan comes in at number seven in its fifth week with a 38.6% drop and a $3.8 million total. Right behind that is Missing in its third week, a 34.6% drop and a $3.7 million total. And right behind Missing is The Chosen Season 3 finale, a $3.6 million total in its debut weekend. And falling out of the top five, but not yet out of the top 10, is the Indian film Patan, which apparently I was saying incorrectly last week. Uh, bear with me here. In its second week, a 61% drop and a $2.6 million total. I also made a mistake last week when I said that Patan is the highest or fastest grossing Indian film of all time. It is actually at that time the highest or fastest grossing Hindi language Indian film of all time. I'm still kind of trying to navigate my way around the Indian film industry, and some of those distinctions elude me, so uh, thank you for your patience, and to those who pointed out my mistake. As I always say here on the show, if I make a mistake, I like to own up to it, and more importantly, I like to provide you with the correct information. Four movies dropped out of the top ten this past weekend. After three weeks, Plane has fallen out of the top ten. Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, Infinity Pool, and The Wandering Earth 2 also all dropping out of the box office top ten after just one week. Let's look at the road to recovery, which is basically the average of how the box office was doing every weekend from 2015 through 2019, so pre-pandemic, from 2021 to 2022, which is when theaters began to reopen, and then of course 2023. That black dotted line in the middle there is how we're doing this year, and we continue to basically chart a path right in the middle between what was going on before the pandemic and what's been going on after theaters have reopened. You see there Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, we're just a couple of weeks away from that movie opening, so we're looking to see a big spike in that graph. We will see how this year compares both to the last couple of years and to the pre-pandemic era to see if there is a box office recovery that is ongoing or if we're looking more at a new normal here with how we're doing weekend by weekend. I mentioned earlier that this was the lowest opening for M. Night Shyamalan as far as wide releases go, but let's look at his highest openings ever as a director. At number one is Signs back in August of 2002 with a $60.1 million opening, followed by The Village in 2004 with $50.7 million. Then we have Glass, the culmination of the East Rail superhero trilogy, $40.3 million. The Last Airbender back in July of 2010 is at number four with $40.3 million. Just about $3,000 separating Glass and The Last Airbender. That's pretty close. And then look at Split. Just about $300,000 separating Split from the number four movie there back in January of 2017. So basically almost a three-way tie for numbers three, four, and five on the highest M. Night Shyamalan openings ever domestically. That does open up a little bit when we look at these grosses adjusted for inflation now that M. Night has been at this for more than two decades. The top two remain the same. Signs at number one with an adjusted opening of $97.7 million, and The Village at number two, with an adjusted opening of $78.6 million. Then The Last Airbender moves up to number three, with $54.1 million. Unbreakable, the beginning of M. Night Shyamalan's superhero trilogy, moves in at the number four slot, with $51.5 million, and then Split just edges out the sixth sense to be number five, with $47.7 million.
Avatar The Way of Water has been dethroned as the number one movie at the domestic box office, but that doesn't mean that we're going to stop tracking its performance. And one thing that we've been looking at is the performance of the sequel versus the original Avatar film and which movie is going to have a higher domestic gross. I've been saying for quite some time now that the original film is going to catch Avatar The Way of Water domestically even before you adjust for inflation. And our latest chart comparing the performance shows that we are very close to that happening. Here are the performances of Avatar versus Avatar The Way of Water. The original Avatar is the blue line. Avatar The Way of Water is the orange line. And you'll see that The Way of Water has had a lead over the original Avatar film since day one. But that gap has slowly been closing, slowly been closing. And then this last week, it is getting very close within the week. Avatar will pass the day-to-day -day gross of Avatar The Way of Water unadjusted for inflation. So it does not look like Avatar The Way of Water is going to be able to match that feat of the original Avatar. Again, we're at about the $650 million mark, so it's not like uh, there's really a whole lot to complain about. This is the performance of Avatar versus Avatar The Way of Water when you do adjust for inflation. And this chart was actually a little off the last couple weeks. I had to redo some figures. But again, you see when you actually do adjust the money for inflation, the massive gap in performance between the first film and the second film. Although keep in mind again, that orange line may look lower, but that $650 million mark, just about any movie would kill to have a domestic gross around that. But that is really when you kind of put them on a more even playing field, the difference in the performance between these two films and the longevity of that first Avatar film is still just really impressive. When we look at the box office for films released in 2022, the next thing that we're looking at is Avatar The Way of Water versus Top Gun Maverick. Which one of these two films is going to go down in the books as the highest grossing film released in 2022? Right now, Avatar The Way of Water is a little less than $82 million behind Top Gun Maverick. And as we look at their trajectories, again, this is going to be, I think, a very, very close race between these movies. You see, they were intertwined there for a couple of weeks. Then Avatar The Way of Water sort of opening up a lead, but that gap has been narrowed as we are into day 52 of both of these films releases and Top Gun Maverick is beginning to close that gap again and it's all going to be about how do these grosses play out in the last two three four weeks of release is the way of water going to be able to overcome that lead that it opened up right now as, as far as day to day Top Gun Maverick has now taken over the lead as far as what each film grossed on each particular day of release I still think and I think it's going to be close that Top Gun Maverick will remain the highest grossing film of 2022 and all is said and done. But we will see. Is it completely out of the question that Avatar The Way of Water is just going to squeak by Top Gun Maverick? No, it's definitely not. But I think that Maverick is going to stay on top. Looking at the 2023 domestic winter spring box office, which is basically all movies released domestically in the calendar year of 2023, Megan is number one with an $87.6 million gross, basically the highest grossing film to be released this year. Plane is at number two with $28.8 million, followed by Missing at number three with $23 million. Patan is at number four with $14.2 million. Knock at the Cabin debuts at number five with $14.1 million, followed by 84 for Brady at number six with 12.7 million. BTS yet to come in cinemas is at number seven with 9.1 million. House Party drops three spots down to number eight. The Chosen season three finale enters the chart at number nine. Infinity Pool drops down two spots to number 10. And Left Behind, The Rise of the Antichrist, The Wandering Earth 2, Walter Viraya, and Skinamarink all drop off of the 10 highest grossing films released 
2023. Looking at the domestic box office by calendar gross, meaning ticket sales since January 1 of this year, regardless of when the movie was released, Avatar The Way of Water, of course, the highest grossing film of the year at $235.9 million. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, approaching $100 million earned in 2023. Right now it's at $95.5 million. Megan's at number three with $87.6 million, followed by A Man Called Otto with just over $53 million. Plane is at number five with $28.8 million, followed by Missing at number six. Black Panther Wakanda Forever at number seven with $16.9 million. Fatan at number eight. And then two new entrants at number nine and ten. Knock at the Cabin at number nine with $14.1 million. 80 for Brady at number 10 with $12.7 million. That drops I Want to Dance with Somebody and The Whale off of the 2023 domestic box office calendar gross. Looking more specifically from the top 10 to the per theater averages for this past weekend, at number one was Una Vita Difficile, which is a 4K restoration of an older film. It brought in $9,167 in just one theater. The Best International Film nominee, Close, stays on the chart, $5,904 per theater in just 20 theaters. BTS, Yet to Come in Cinemas, was a wide release, but it wasn't quite big enough to break down that per theater average too much, $5,637 in just over 1,100 theaters. Patan stays in limited release, just over $3,900 per theater in 683 theaters. And then Knock at the Cabin, the biggest wide release of the weekend, $3,878 per theater in 3,643 theaters. When we look at films in limited release, so these were ones that were playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer, Patan is number one, 683 theaters and a 2.6 million dollar total. The Wandering Earth 2 takes a big dive despite staying in just about the same number of theaters, a $624,000 total. Sword Art Online, the movie Progressive, Scurso of Deep Night is at number three, 892 theaters and a total of $607,000. Women Talkies at number four, it's slowly making some small gains in limited release, 707 theaters for a $558,000 total. And then Living returns to the chart, it's playing in just over 400 theaters for a $334,611 total. When we look at the top 10 grocers in limited release this year, and again, this is from January 1st onward, regardless of when the film was originally released, Baton stays number one easily with $14.2 million. A Man Called Otto's at number two. It made $6.2 million in limited release before it expanded to wide release, which is when we freeze the gross. The Wandering Earth 2 jumps up one spot to number three for $4.1 million total. The Whale drops down to number four. It grossed $3.9 million before it entered wide release. Women Talking jumps up one spot to number five with a $3.2 million total. The unverified number for Walter Viraya at $2.2 million, which is lower than many sources have it, but I'm keeping it here for now, drops one spot to number six. Skinamarink stays at number seven with just over $1.9 million, but Fear is right on its tail. It's also just over $1.9 million at number eight. Living re-enters the chart. It's dropped on and off the chart a couple times, but it's back at number nine with a one point $5 million total and Billy Eilish live at the O2 drops down two spots from last week with a total of $1,290,000 and we say goodbye to the South Korean film Broker which drops off the chart. We've got so much more to get to but before we do I want to thank one of the sponsors for this week Mint Mobile. One frustration that nearly every mobile customer shares is having to deal with the big wireless companies but the answer to these problems is here 
and it's called Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month with no binding contracts or ridiculous promotions, no hidden charges that you won't find out about until you get your bill. I tried for months to get my last contract with a big wireless provider sorted out, and even they couldn't keep it straight. But Mint Mobile is so simple, there's no need to try cracking an impossible code just to get what you paid for. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family, and at Mint Mobile, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same number along with your existing contacts. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected surprises at mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mintmobile.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L. You'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash Merle. And I want to thank them for sponsoring the show. Before we move on to the box office around the world, I wanted to talk about some news that broke today regarding the biggest theater chain here uh, domestically in the United States, which is AMC and their new plan as far as pricing. This is something that's going to roll out in a few markets this upcoming weekend, but it will supposedly be rolled out domestically by the end of 2023. And it's a new system that they're calling Sightline at AMC. This is a basic summary of what their plans are. It begins this week, as I mentioned, at theaters in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City. City, expanding to all domestic theaters by the end of 2023. And basically now with Sightline at AMC, you're going to have three options when selecting seats. Number one is something called standard Sightline. These are seats that will not be located in the center of the auditorium, so kind of on the edges of the different rows, and they will be available at the standard ticket price, basically what tickets are being sold for right now. Then you have value sightline. These will be seats in the front row as well as specified seating for those with disabilities that will be available at a discount for Stubbs members only. So you don't have to be a paid member of AMC A-List, but you do have to be a member of their loyalty slash rewards program to get those discounted seats, which would be the less desirable seats right in the front row of the theater. And then the third option is called preferred sightline. These would be those middle center seats with a higher ticket price than AMC currently charges, except for AMC A-List members. If you are a paid member of AMC A-List, you do not have to pay the upcharge for the preferred preferred sightline seat. This applies or will apply to all shows after 4 p.m., so basically non-matinee shows, excluding the $5 discount Tuesdays, which AMC currently runs. And then there was a quote from Elliot Hamlish, the executive vice president and chief marketing officer at AMC, who said, quote, sightline at AMC more closely aligns AMC's seat pricing approach to that of many other entertainment venues, offering experience-based pricing and another way for moviegoers to find value at the movies. While every seat at AMC delivers an amazing movie-going experience, we know there are some moviegoers who prioritize their specific seat and others who prioritize value moviegoing. Sightline at AMC accommodates both sentiments to help ensure that our guests have more control over their experience so that every trip to AMC is a great one. If you watch this channel, you know that I am very passionate about the theatrical exhibition industry because I think that it is a very special way to present film in a way that you can't really replicate at home. Even though we have great TVs and state-of-the-art sound systems, I love the theatrical experience, and I did a whole video right here on this channel about what I would do if I ran theaters. And spoiler alert, if you don't want to watch that whole video, uh, this was not part of that plan. 
apparently someone at AMC, who is the industry leader here domestically in the theatrical exhibition business, which is a struggling business model and a struggling marketplace, walked into someone else's office there and said, hey boss, listen, I've got an idea. It's gonna make buying tickets uh, more complicated and potentially more expensive for our moviegoers. And because the person whose office this was at AMC is, I guess, the producer for Pitch Meeting, he said, go on, I'm listening. I think this is a spectacularly bad idea. I'm just gonna lay that out right now. And when they say other entertainment venues, they're talking about things like concerts and Broadway shows where yes, you do pay more to sit closer to the action because the closer you are to the stage, the better you can see the performers, the better you can hear them, especially at a Broadway show. You can see more of the scenery. There is a substantial palpable difference in your experience between sitting closer to the stage and sitting further away from the stage and so, yes, it makes sense that concert tickets are more if you're closer to the front. But we're not talking about a concert. We're talking about a movie. And I don't know about you, but I've never been talking to somebody about a movie that I've seen and had them say something like, oh, you know, you may think that you've seen Spider-Man No Way Home, but have you seen the movie sitting 15 seats to the right? Because that is a life-changing experience. That's not how movies work. I also think it's funny that they're saying that they want to replicate the business model of things like the concert industry, because when I look at what's going on with, let's say, Ticketmaster right now, the first thing that pops into my head isn't, you know, I really wish that movie theaters would replicate that business model. That seems like a great idea. And the quote from the AMC vice president, chief marketing officer, whatever, is my favorite because it is such obvious corporate BS spin. This idea of like, we're doing this to make this a better movie going experience for you, the AMC consumer. Oh yes, what a wonderful experience. You're basically saying that if you like to sit in the middle of the auditorium, then we're going to give you the privilege of paying more for those seats because that's how they're trying to sell this thing. They're basically saying like, well, you know, for our more value-based consumers, we're going to allow them to sit on the fringes of the auditorium still. They still get to do that. But for those who seek the premium experience, they get to sit in the good seats. That doesn't really sound like you're doing me a favor. That basically sounds like you're applying an upcharge to people who want to sit in the best seats in the house. And for people that maybe can't afford it, you're saying, well, Sorry. It's like somebody walked into an office at AMC and said, you know, it's pretty hard to make people who are facing financial difficulties feel even worse about themselves. And having that executive say, actually, it's super easy, barely an inconvenience, trademark Ryan George. And this is the exact opposite of what the theatrical exhibition industry needs right now. You need to be taking barriers away from movie going. You need to be making movie going easier for people, not more complicated, not more expensive. And I can guarantee you that whatever extra money that AMC makes by selling these premium sightline seats, they are not going to put into what I did recommend that theaters do, which is to up enforcement and up the number of staff and make the movie going experience actually pleasurable again. They're just going to put those problems profits right back into the corporate bank accounts, and the average consumer will never see anything out of this except for a more expensive seat. I guess this kind of thing was inevitable, but I hope that it wouldn't happen because I sometimes have a very optimistic view of the world. I want to believe the best about everyone and everything. And I genuinely hoped, at least for a while, that AMC and the other big theater chains wanted to stay in business. But this to me says that they don't really care about staying in business. They care about making money, even if in the long term, 
that means that they drive even more people away from their business. So in the coming months and years and whatever, whether theaters survive or they don't survive, I'm sure that there'll be some belly aching saying that the consumer is costing them money because they just stopped going to the movies and how can we change consumer behavior? And none of these theaters will ever acknowledge that it was within their power all along to encourage more people to go to the movies and instead they did just the opposite because moves like this from AMC are ensuring that the theater chains and not the consumers are the reason why they are quickly dying. Okay, so that's my Dan stance on that stupid, stupid, stupid idea. Let's talk about movie going around the world, which features some things that we've already seen on our box office charts and some things that we probably haven't seen. Let's look at the top five movies internationally first. And number one, it actually flip-flopped. Two weeks ago, it was The Wandering Earth 2, followed by Full River Red. Last week, it was Full River Red, followed by The Wandering Earth 2. And then we're back to where we were. This is all still an after effect of the big surge in movie going in China around the New Year's celebration. Number one with $57.2 million is The Wandering Earth 2, close behind Full River Red with $50.2 million. Avatar The Way of Water is at number three with $27.9 million. Boonie Bear's Guardian Code is at number four with $21.1 million. And then at number five is Patan with $17.6 million. When you combine the international grosses with what films made domestically, we have our top five films worldwide. And there's a lot of crossover. The Wandering Earth 2 is still number one with $57.8 million. Full River Red is at number two with 50.2 million. Avatar The Way of Water is at number three with 39.2 million, followed by Puss in Boots The Last Wish with 25 million. And at number five, M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, driven mainly by its domestic debut with 21.1 million. Looking at the worldwide box office so far in 2023, or at least as far as my research will take me, there's a lot of instability in this chart at the beginning of the year. Full River Red, number one with a bullet, nearly $600 million worldwide, all of that money coming from the Chinese market, $590.6 million. At number two, also over the half billion mark, is The Wandering Earth 2, with a little bit of a contribution from the domestic marketplace, $501.9 million. Boonie Bear's Guardian Code jumps up to number three at $185.3 million. Megan, which many are considering a 2022 release because it opened in some worldwide markets at the very end of last year. I'm considering a 2023 release. It's at number four with $158.6 million. Hidden Blade is at number five with $112.1 million. Patan breaks the $100 million mark and moves up to number six, $103.6 million. D Sea at 97.5 million. Another Chinese film moves up one spot to number seven. Cheburashka from Russia drops down two spots to number eight. 500 Miles, another Chinese film, stays at number nine at 52.1 million dollars. And Plane, one of only two films from the United States market, is at number 10 with 37.6 million. This is the part of the show where I like to look at a weekend from Box Office Pass, but also pay tribute to people who have passed away that had big impacts in the entertainment industry, particularly in movies and television. And there was an actress who passed away in the last few days whose name you may not know, but who has probably been in movies that you saw many times, perhaps if you're my age when you were a kid. And that is the actress Melinda Dillon. Many may recognize her most prominently for her role in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was still 
Steven Spielberg's follow-up after his huge breakout hit in Jaws. It's a beautiful film. I love this movie. One of my favorite Spielberg films. She also was Oscar-nominated not only for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but for the film Absence of Malice for Best Supporting Actress. Many people probably see Melinda Dillon in their homes every year around the holidays because she played Ralphie's mom in A Christmas Story, complete with her controversial breakage or perhaps non-breakage of the infamous leg lamp. She also appeared in classics like Harry and the Hendersons, which for kids in the 80s was a staple, at least it was for me, as well as numerous other movies and TV shows. Again, this is a face who I think is etched into cinema history for people of a certain generation, especially with the emergence of Spielberg and all of these new talents, and then A Christmas Story, which has become a new modern classic. Melinda Dillon has been on my television set, and I've been lucky enough to see her as well on the big screen any number of times, and I was sad to see that she had passed on, particularly because Close Encounters for the Third Kind holds such a special place in my heart. So to Melinda Dillon, as always, my sympathies go to her friends, family, and fans. Let's take a look now at a weekend in box office history, and we're going to go back 20 years to January 31st to February 2nd, 2003, the fifth weekend of the year, which saw the debut of the Al Pacino Colin Farrell film The Recruit. I actually thought that the new Netflix show was a remake of this. It's not, actually. It's not really related at all. It debuted at number one with $16.3 million. Right behind was the debut of Final Destination 2. It was not the Final Destination after the first movie, nor would it be after this film. Just over $16 million dollars at number three biker boys which was uh let's just say of its time and there's no more evidence that a movie is of its time than by the poster which ends with the phrase and kid rock when we're talking about the cast 10.1 million dollars at number four a movie that many believe should have been sued for false advertising kangaroo jack if you've never seen the history behind kangaroo jack that is a wild story 22 percent drop in its third week for a nine million dollar total and at number five on its way to the best picture academy award was chicago it was still rolling out to its wide release in its sixth week a 14 percent drop from the previous week and a total just over seven million dollars but as we like to do here on this chart we don't just look at the numbers as they were we look at the numbers as they would be today, which means we adjust for inflation. And when we hit that inflation button, we see that the recruit debuts to $25.9 million, followed by $25.4 million for Final Destination 2, a $16 million debut for Biker Boys, Kangaroo Jack holding strong at $14.3 million, and Chicago with $11.2 million. Before we move on, I want to thank another sponsor for today's show, ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like checking your bag at the airport without a lock. You think your stuff is private, but you never really know who's going through your underwear, those gifts you bought for your parents, and that Preparation H that you bought for a friend. And when it comes to the internet, you may think you're browsing privately, but even in incognito mode, your internet service provider can see every website you visit. With ExpressVPN, your internet service provider can say goodbye to accessing your online activity because your identity is now completely anonymous. ExpressVPN is incredibly easy to use. All you have to do is open up the app and push one button to get things started. And it works on phones, laptops, and even routers so that anyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. I travel a lot and you're gonna see videos from me on the road in the next couple weeks and it adds so much peace of mind for me to know that whether I'm browsing at home, at an airport, on a plane, or at a hotel, that my internet activity is safe and anonymous. That way I can freely browse to find the best deals on Preparation H, which I'd like to stress again, I am buying for a friend. 
Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash Merle today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash Merle, and I want to thank them for sponsoring today's show. Before we go, as always, I like to take a look at the streaming charts to see what people are watching through various different streaming services. And we will start, as we always do, with the iTunes store. And at number one, as it exits the top 10, is Plane, starring Mike Coulter and Jared Butler. Available for both purchase and premium video on demand. Those are those high-priced rentals. It's good enough for the number one spot. Megan drops down to number two, still only available for purchase and premium video on demand. Black Panther Wakanda Forever made its debut on Disney Plus last week, which also means it's available for purchase in the iTunes store. Good enough for number three. Alice Darling, which is a bit of a hybrid release. It was available exclusively in AMC theaters. Uh, you didn't have to pay extra to sit front and center just yet, but it was also available for purchase and rental on the iTunes store. Good enough for number four. Puss in Boots The Last Wish is at number five, available for purchase and premium video on demand. Triangle of Sadness is at number six. Babylon makes its debut on the chart, available for purchase and premium video on demand. The Woman King is back at number eight. Ticket to Paradise falls to number nine. And the thriller Karen, which is apparently not a very good movie, but was good enough to be number 10 on this chart is at number 10 available for purchase and rental. Looking at the most watched programs on Netflix for the week of January 23rd to the 29th, this uses my global Merle metrics. That generates a number I call the PFV or potential finished views. I basically take the number of hours watched divided by the runtime, and that gives me the number of Netflix users that could potentially have finished viewing any particular movie or program. At number one is You People, which I did not really enjoy as a film, but which a lot of people watched. A PFV of 28.39, meaning 28.39 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing that movie. At number two is Narvik, which is a movie out of Norway. It bills itself as the story of the first big defeat for Adolf Hitler. It's also from director Eric Skjoldbjerg, who wrote and directed the original Insomnia, which Christopher Nolan would later remake. At number three is the South Korean film Young E, followed by Record of Ragnarok Season 2, based on the Japanese manga. At number five is The Snow Girl, a mystery series out of Spain. At number six is that 90s show Season 1, staying in the top 10. At number seven is Inheritance, which is a movie that came out a couple of years ago and isn't in the top 10 for any noticeable reason, except that it seems to have been discovered and tweeted about. So word of mouth on social media apparently puts Inheritance at number seven. Jenny and Georgia Season 2 is at number eight. Physical 100 season one is at number nine. This is a reality show out of South Korea where 100 people who could definitely beat me up all compete against each other in games of skill and physical exertion, etc. I wouldn't do well on the show, but it sounds interesting. Maybe I'll watch it. And at number 10, sticking around in the top 10 still months after its release is Wednesday season one. And when we look at the most watched Netflix programs that were released in 2022, Wednesday continues to rack up the score at number one, a PFE of 251.06, which again means that 251 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing the series worldwide. The Adam Project and Stranger Things 4 stay at number three, but Glass Onion moves up to number four with a PFE of 127.66 followed by The Gray Man, which drops down to number five. Numbers six through 10 remain the same. Purple Hearts, Dahmer, Monster, Hustle, Troll, 
and the Sea Beast. But I'm also debuting about a month into the year, it seemed about time to do this, a chart for the most watched programs of 2023. And this is for the calendar year, meaning the numbers from January 1st onwards. So you will see some 2022 releases on this chart for now. The question is, will any of them still be around at the end of the year? So looking at the most watched 2023 Netflix programs to date, Ginny and Georgia season two takes the crown with a PFV of 51.83, followed by the Netflix original movie, The Pale Blue Eye, starring Christian Bale with a PFV of 46.66. Glass Onion, which has done a bulk of its numbers in calendar year 2023 because it debuted so late in 2022, is at number three with a PFV of 37.02. Wednesday season one did not debut right at the end of last year, but it's done so well that it's still the fourth most watched program of 2023 so far with a PFV of 33.81, followed by the Netflix limited series Kaleidoscope at number five with a PFV of 31.14. The Netflix original movie Dog Gone at number six. The Netflix original movie You People entering the chart at number seven. The Glory season one at number eight. The Netflix original movie Young E at number nine. And the Netflix movie Narvik at number 10. There's also a little bit of change in the most watched Netflix programs since June 2021 when they began supplying all of these viewership numbers globally. The top five haven't changed. Squid Game Season 1 is still number one with a PFV of 279.21, but that sound you hear is a little bit of sweat that's starting to collect on that number one spot because Wednesday Season 1 is still at number two with a PFV of 251.06. The only thing that may save Squid Game is Wednesday dropping off of the top 10 most watch series chart because then we don't have access to that viewing data because Netflix doesn't report it. So it may very well be that Squid Game holds on to that title for number one for now. But if there's ever a resurgence in Wednesday, then Wednesday could take that number one spot. Then again, Squid Game season one could also have a resurgence in viewership when people return to it when season two comes out. At number three is Red Notice. At number four is Don't Look Up. At number five is The Adam Project. Stranger Things stays at number six, but Glass Onion moves up one spot to number seven. The Gray Man drops to number eight. Purple Hearts stays at number nine, and The Unforgivable stays at number 10. Finally, let's look at the most watched movies and shows according to the Nielsen ratings. Now, these are delayed by about a month. They don't include all devices, and they just cover things that are watched here in the U.S. Some streaming services are also not included in these ratings, but it's the closest we have to being able to compare all of the different services and the programming available there. Looking at the most watched streaming movies for January 2nd through 8th, the viewership numbers really fell back down to earth after a big Christmas season viewing binge. Glass Onion remains number one. The Pale Blue Eye debuts at number two with 12.1 million. The Menu on HBO Max also debuting here on the list with 8.1 million. And Jurassic World Dominion on Amazon debuting on the list with 7.5 million hours watched. Strange World on Disney Plus falls to number five. Matilda the Musical stays at number six on Netflix. And then four new films to wrap out the top 10. White Noise on Netflix, the latest from Noah Baumbach with 5.8 million hours watched. Encanto, the perennial favorite returning on Disney Plus with 4.9 million hours watched. Trolls on Netflix with 4.5 million hours watched also returning to the charts. And Avatar on Disney Plus, I guess people were going to see The Way of Water and wanted to revisit the original film, 4.5 million hours watched for the week of January 2nd through 8th. When we look at the most watched streaming shows for that same week, this saw the debut of Ginny and Georgia and it was easily number one. 42 million hours watched, although keep in mind it does not delineate season one from season two, so this is both seasons of that show. Kaleidoscope is at number two with 27.2 million hours watched, followed by Wednesday, still right up there in the top three, 17.2 million. 
Coco Melon at number four, an indomitable, unstoppable force with 16 million hours watched. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime Video at number five with 15.3 million. A bunch of dads had to go back to work that week, so we saw a viewership drop there. The Walking Dead on Netflix, a new season debuting and just over 15 million hours watched for that series on the streaming service. Yellowstone on Peacock at number seven with 12.5 million hours watched, followed by Emily in Paris on Netflix, NCIS on Netflix, and Bluey on Disney Plus, which is appearing on this chart just about as often as Coco Melon these days, although not quite at the same amount of viewership, 11.75 million hours watched. And finally, when we look at the top 20 streaming shows by watch time per available episode, so how many hours watched versus how many episodes are available for each of these shows, Kaleidoscope actually takes the cake here. With eight episodes available, it had an hours watched per episode of 3.41 million, followed by Madoff, The Monster of Wall Street, which was a limited run four episode series on Netflix, 2.68 million hours watched per episode. Wednesday, good enough for number three, eight episodes and an hours watched per episode of 2.15 million. Jenny and Georgia, despite having 20 episodes available, did well enough to be number four, 2.1 million, followed by The Recruit on Netflix at 1.12 million. Coco Melon at number six at just over 888,000. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan at number seven at 637,000 hours watched per episode. Emily in Paris is at number eight. Yellowstone at number nine. And then the Netflix competition show The Circle, which has 58 episodes available, but also uploads new episodes weekly as it's in its latest production cycle. It's good enough for number 10 with 143,000 hours watched per episode. And that does it for the show this week. There are a lot of entertainment options this upcoming week and weekend. On Wednesday, a Netflix documentary covering legendary NBA player Bill Russell called Bill Russell Legend debuts. Then on Thursday, Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, a spinoff of the animated show, premieres on HBO Max. Also on Thursday, the latest film from director Dave Franco, that's a phrase I never thought I'd say, premieres on Amazon Prime Video. That movie's called Somebody I Used to Know. On Netflix on Thursday, the first season of the animated show My Dad the Bounty Hunter premieres. Then in theaters this weekend, Titanic, the 25-year anniversary re-release is upon us. It has been remastered in 4K, HD, 3D, HFR... PSI, any kinds of different initials. I'm sure you can see it in all of them. Magic Mike's Last Dance will also be hitting movie theaters this weekend. In limited release, if you hate yourself and you wanted to watch Irreversible in theaters but edit it in order, Irreversible The Straight Cut will be in a limited number of theaters. That's a 2002 film from Gaspar and Way. Your Place or Mine, a rom-com starring Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher, kind of the anti-Irreversible, debuts on Netflix this Friday. And in limited release, and on Apple TV Plus, the film Sharper premieres from director Benjamin Karen, starring Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, Justice Smith, John Lithgow, and more. As for me, I have a few things lined up this week, including a deep dive into the Andrea Riseborough Oscar controversy scandal, whatever you want to call it. I'd intended to put that video out last week, but it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. It was then supposed to come out yesterday, and it's still not ready. It will be ready later this week, and I have a couple of other fun ideas that I might put out this week as well. So stay tuned right here on the channel, because I'll be doing not just that, but movie news and box office reviews, so much fun stuff. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks to my partner, Carbon Health. Thanks to my sponsors, Mint Mobile and ExpressVPN. But most of all, thanks for spending part of your day here with me. I'll be back very soon. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.